Uh, however, when I got to church this morning, Miss um, Glenda shared with me something that kind of converted it into a homecoming message. Before I go any further, uh, children eight-year-old and younger are dismissed for children's church. Eight years old and younger. Amen. Y'all got it easy today. You're not eight, son. Won't be long for Porter, though. <laughs> Won't be long. Amen. All right. I always forget that. Them kids would shoot me if I did. But let me share something with you that converted this not-so-homecoming message into an indeed a homecoming message. This is just a note from uh, Miss Glenda Thomas to her husband, who passed away how many months now? Nine months ago, and she wrote this. If I could visit heaven, even for just one day, maybe for a moment, the terrible pain in my heart would go away. I put my arms around you and whisper words so true that living without you is the hardest thing to do. No matter how I spend my days, no matter what I do, no morning dawns or evening falls when I don't think of you. I love you. Sister, we love you. That, is this yours? That's incredible. Uh, that's not yours anymore, amen? That would be mine. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, wow. Great job, Glenda, and uh, thank you. That we'll all be able to experience that, and, and I miss James as I know you do, and uh, we're, we're praying for you. Miss Glenda has just immersed herself into the family of God here at Bethel, and uh, I'm just excited about what the Lord is doing in your life and through your life for me, if I can be selfish, amen? Now to this not-so-homecoming, homecoming message, amen? You may not have ever considered this, but the number two, what number? The number two is a very significant number in the Bible. Let me give you some examples. How many people did God put in the Garden of Eden? The animals went into Noah's ark two by two. How many sons did Abraham have? Isaac and Ishmael. How many sons did Isaac have? Jacob and Esau. God gave the commandments on how many tablets of stone? How many times? Twice. Very good. Thought I'd catch you on that one. Atop the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubims, two angels made of gold, whose wings created the mercy seat of God. Two. Joshua originally sent out two spies into the promised land who lodged with that harlot Rahab. While chained to two pillars in the Philistine temple, mighty Samson pulled with all his strength and killed more in his death than he did in his life. Ruth. Ruth lost two of her sons. Two harlots one came to, once came to King Solomon, and they were arguing over a child. And so King Solomon offered to split them in two. Of course, the mother wasn't going to let that happen, and he gave the child to the mother. Solomon once built two houses, one for God and one for himself. Solomon also said in Ecclesiastes 4.9 that two are better than one. If one falls, the other will lift him up. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that the people of God were once divided 
into two, Israel and Judah. You may know that on two commandments hang all of God's law. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second one is likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, at the end of time, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Jesus fed 5,000 with five barley loaves and how many fish? Two. That poor widow gave two mites, two pennies in an offering to the Lord while others put in out of their abundance. She put in out of, their pover- out of her poverty. The Lord Jesus once appointed 70 disciples and sent them out two by two to go before him into the cities telling them that the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus hung on a cross between two thieves. Two men on their way to Emmaus had an incredible encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Paul said that husband and wife, the two shall become one flesh. And today we're going to find that the Bible mentions two gates, two trees, two ways, two foundations, two lives, and two deaths. So I want you to know that at the conclusion of this message, you're also going to have two choices. Two choices that you can make now that will dictate where you are at the end of your life. So follow with me in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. The words of our Lord Jesus begin speaking about two gates. He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are so few that enter in by it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, here go two trees. Every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you'll know them. Now Jesus speaks of two ways. Be careful to listen to these. For the Lord said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's one of them. The other one is, But he who does the will of my Father in heaven... For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many works in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And now he speaks of two foundations. 
Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I'll liken him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Let us pray. Father God, I pray that today you will allow us to understand the impact of the number two. Especially when we get to the conclusion and we have two choices. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. For every purpose that God has, Satan has an alternative purpose. For every desire for good that God has for your life, you need to know that Satan has his own desire for your destruction. You see, every plan that God makes, Satan makes a counterfeit. Jesus told his disciples, beware of false prophets who come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. Peter said that Satan was like a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he might devour. You see, that wide gate, that broad way, that easy way, is Satan's attempt to lure millions of people into hell. Satan makes that wide gate look pretty. He makes that broad gate look very similar to the narrow one. He even paints that broad way with religious colors to deceive you. And Jesus said, there are many who go in by it. So my purpose here on this homecoming Sunday is to warn you of what Proverbs chapter 16 says. In verse 25, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. So I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus mentions two ways to heaven. Stay with me. First of all, he mentions man's way to heaven. Man's way to heaven is salvation based on your own efforts. Matthew 7, 7, 22, the Bible said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Works. In your name, have we not cast out demons? Works. And in your name, have we not done many works you see religion friend is founded in works what can a man do to try to earn his salvation what must i do to inherit eternal life you know it seems like since the dawn of man that man has always been trying to earn his own salvation adam and eve did it in the garden of eden when they sinned, what did they try to do? They tried to cover their sin 
by sewing together fig leaves to cover themselves. God did not accept their efforts, neither will he accept our efforts to cover our own sin. But there's always two ways for salvation. There's man's way, works, and there's God's way to be born again. There's only one problem with man's way. Man's way to salvation ends in hell. Man's way of salvation ends in an eternal separation from God. So, here we have man attempting to make himself equal with God. He tries to make his own way to heaven. That's what we call humanism. Because if man acknowledges that God is superior, then that means that he'll have to submit to God. And many men will not do it. Instead, many men say, I'm going to make my own way. I'll be good. I'll do it my own way. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you counting on for salvation? What are you counting on to save you? Maybe here at Bethel, you're, you're teaching. You're teaching a Sunday school class. Uh, you're leading some children at CIA. Perhaps you're preparing for vacation Bible school. Maybe you're counting on your baptism to get you to heaven. Perhaps you think that your ticket to heaven is because your name is on the membership roll here. Maybe you think that if you sincerely try to keep the commandments, if you sincerely try to be a good person, you'll get to heaven. Maybe you're one of those helping kind of people. You love helping people around the church. You love helping people in your community. You're always working, working, working. You're always doing things. And your hope is this, that if anyone deserves to go to heaven, it'll be me. Friends, let me tell you something. These are decent ways to live a life, but they are not the way to salvation. They are not the way to be saved. As far as salvation is concerned, all of those are man's ways of attempting to be saved. They're all man's ways, and they all lead to the same place. Hell. Several places in the New Testament, we see the phrase, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? To inherit eternal life. Man's way focuses on what he can do. But we don't earn eternal life. We inherit eternal life. So have you inherited eternal life from your Savior and your Lord? That is one of the choices that you'll have to make at this conclusion. Let's look at God's way. Be born again. You remember the story, the story of Nicodemus, and Jesus said, John, or uh, Nicodemus, make sure that you know you must be born again. And he said, how in the world can I be born again? Can I climb back up in my mother's womb and be born a second time? Let me tell you, on the authority of God's word, I tell you that if you're not born twice, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you won't die but once. Your spiritual life will go on and on and on. Psalm 51.5 says this. 
it tells us that men are born with a sin nature. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin was in my mother's womb. In sin, my mother conceived me. Therefore, because we are all born with a sin nature, we must be born again with God's nature. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are so few who find it. Why is the way so doggone difficult? What's so difficult about the narrow way? It's difficult because so often people want to do things their own way, not God's way. And that's why it's difficult. So there's your two ways to heaven. So man thinks. But we know that there's only one way, and that's through our beloved Savior, Jesus. Let me show you two ways to happiness. First, there's man's way to happiness. Man says this, give me the world. Give me the world. That rich man, you remember him? He was confused about happiness. Let me share with you in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus spoke a parable to his disciples saying this, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, What am I going to do since I have no room to store all these crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods stored up for many, many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those things of which you have been provided, what will happen to those? So is he who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. He was confused. Friends, listen to your pastor this morning. Satan will cause you to believe that happiness can only come in things and thrills. He's the liar and the father of them. He is the deceiver. He'll tell you that if you don't have credit cards, if you don't have new cars, if you don't have a high-def television in every room, if you don't have the latest fashions to wear, then you're not going to be happy. Don't believe Satan. Instead, look to the Bible for God's way to happiness. Man's way, Satan's way to happiness is give me the world. But God's way to happiness is give me your life. Give me your life. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you is not willing to forsake all cannot be my disciple. Give me your life. So do you want to be happy? Anybody? Three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight. That's what I'm talking about. We all want to be happy. Now let me ask you a harder question. Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to give Jesus your life? Are you willing to deny self and follow Christ? Well, that's where happiness is found. So if you really want it and you raise your hand testifying that you do, I want to tell you, life is in Christ and Him alone. And as Jesus was trying to help His disciples understand this, He said, Right now, I know you have sorrow, but I will see you again. And when I see you, your heart's going to rejoice, and you will have joy that no one can take from you. Wow. I want that happiness. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, King Solomon, a man who had it all. If there's any guy who had it all, it was King Solomon. He once said, Whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any good pleasure. For my heart rejoiced from all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor, so I enjoyed it. But then something happened. Something happened to Solomon, and he wrote, then I looked on all the works of my hands. I looked on all the things that I had done. I looked at all the labor on which I had toiled. And indeed, it was all vanity. It was nothing. It was grasping for the wind. And there was no profit in it under the sun. Here, the wisest man who ever lived, and we talked about him in Sunday school today, the wisest man who ever lived said this, happiness does not come from things. If you don't get anything else from this message today, know this, that happiness does not come from things. Happiness comes from an intimate relationship with, with God. Now let me direct your attention to two ways to live or two ways to build. Back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, He'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And you know those rains descended, and those floods came, and those winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall. Happiness. Two ways to build. You know, the foundation of a building is the most important part of the building. It's the foundation that determines how big the building can get. It's the foundation that determines what shape the building will take. It is the foundation that determines the strength of the structure above it. What is man's foundation? Man's foundation is rejecting the Word of God. 
Man's foundation is rejecting God's word as a means by which we're supposed to build our lives. Therefore, his foundation is very weak. Man's way builds on the shifting sands of society, the shifting sands of our culture, the shifting sands of this temporary planet. And great will be its fall. God's foundation, however, involves hearing, accepting, believing, and applying the Word of God to every situation, to every decision, to every relationship we encounter in this life. I shared with the Wednesday morning Bible study this Wednesday something so profound it just went over my head, and it was something that my devotion told me to ask God for. Three things. He said, ask God when you're faced with a decision to stop and ask. Before you go rushing in, making a decision based on, your, on their flesh, on your own uh, thoughts, stop and ask God. When you confront a decision, seek His wisdom. And when you do that, make sure that the decision glorifies Him. Stop and ask before you make any decision What's going to glorify him? You do that in every situation, in every relationship, you'll do well in this life. God's way builds on the rock, the rock of a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with God that never, ever fails. But you know, once the foundation's set, what do we do then? Once the foundation is set, how are we supposed to build on it? Well, like with anything, once you start building on a foundation, you need to make sure that you use the good materials. Build on that foundation with the right materials. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers. He said, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or with wood, hay, and stubble, each man's work will become clear. And the judgment day shall declare it because it will be revealed by fire and each one will be tested by what sort it is. What does that mean? Well, Paul gave us two different types of materials there to build on our foundation. He gave us gold, silver, and precious stones. What do you know about gold, silver, and precious stones? They're permanent. They're valuable. They have good worth. They're beautiful to look at. They're difficult to obtain. But he also described some other material. Wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble are, are passing. They're temporary. They're ordinary. They're cheap. They're easy to obtain. What are you building on the foundation that God has laid in your life? As I look through this room... I can see that everyone in this room has a sound foundation. My question to you is, how are you building on that foundation which has already been laid? Man builds with, on the sand. He builds on the sand with hay and stubble and wood. So what are you building on? Are you building on the rock? What are you building with now that you're saved? What are you doing for God's glory now that you're saved? You know, every Christian builds with one of two types of materials. If you're living for things and thrills, then you're building with wood, hay, and stubble. 
and it's going to burn. It's going to burn, and it will be determined as worthless, and there'll be nothing left. You'll have nothing to show for your Christian life, and you'll stand before Jesus one day at the judgment seat of Christ, and you'll be naked and ashamed. Nothing to give to the Lord. But listen to God's way. God's way of building on the rock with gold and silver and precious stones. He's talking about service. He's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about soul winning. He's talking about submission to the Lord. He's talking about making your life a holy life. He's talking about following the word of God as your pattern for life. He's talking about living a life surrendered to God, surrendered to the rock. I read where great preacher Vance Havner once said this, Christianity is not a happiness religion. Christianity is not a success-based religion. At its heart, it's a process. A process by which God makes saints out of sinners. Is that what God's doing in your life? Are you living a life of submission whereby he's making a saint out of a sinner? We're not on a glorified picnic here. We're being transformed into that beautiful image of Jesus. But it seems like so many Christians suffer from what I call cheap Christianity. It's cheap because it don't cost them nothing. It's cheap because uh, there's no cross to bear. It's cheap because there's no discipline to endure. Cheap Christianity. Those kind of people, they receive the word of God, but it has no root. It doesn't go deep. And so as a result, many Christians are so shallow. And what's striking is, is they're content to stay that way. God's way builds on the rock. But I say there's too many religious hobos. You know what a hobo is, right? I say there's too many religious hobos trying to get to heaven as cheap as they can. They try to pray just enough prayer. They try to um, do just enough Bible reading. They try to give just enough service to get them by. But I tell you, that kind of life is going to go up in smoke. It will not stand the test of fire. It will go up in smoke before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul tells us that the only sure foundation is Jesus Christ. And we ought to be busy building on that foundation with a holy life. Two ways to heaven. Two ways to happiness. Two ways to build. But did you know there's also two ways for you to die? There's a show on one of the cable channels that's a thousand and one ways to die. And it shows all these grotesque and gross ways that, that people are killed. But I tell you, there's not a thousand and one ways to die. There's only two ways to die. You can either die with Christ or you can die without Christ. It's a matter of fact. You're going to die. You will die. It's also a matter of fact that you will die in one of those two ways. Either with him or without him. 
And if you ignore what the Bible teaches about Christ's sacrifice for your sins and my sins, you will die without Christ. And you will be eternally separated from God. You'll be eternally separated from God in a place that the Bible describes with adjectives like suffering, torment, agony, anguish. How many of you want that? You see, an unsaved person dies twice. They die physically, and then they die spiritually. But the saved person, the saved person who dies with the Lord Jesus Christ, they may pass from this world physically, but spiritually they will never die. They will always be with God. So I guess that leaves us with two choices. The broad way is religion for religion's sake. Tradition, ceremonies, personalities, hope beyond hope, a lifestyle. That's all the broad way. And if any of those are your method of going to heaven, I want you to know you're going to miss it. You're going to miss heaven, and you're going to land right smack in the middle of hell. Men may say, no. God is too loving to send his creation to hell. And you know what? That's so true. Therefore, he does not send any of his creation to hell. They choose to go there. God doesn't send them anywhere. They choose to reject the offer of salvation that he's given freely through the shed blood of his own son, Jesus. He's done everything possible to keep people out of hell. What more could you do than to give yourself? And that's what God did. So I pray that you choose the narrow way and live with God. Don't choose the broad way and suffer torment. Jesus' own words about the narrow way are this. In John 3, 18, Jesus said, He who believes in him, talking about the Lord Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Every unbeliever, did you hear me? Every unbeliever has already done everything they need to do to land them in hell. Did y'all hear that? They've already done everything they need to do by not believing to land them in a horrible place called hell. So what do I do to inherit eternal life? The Bible says, repent therefore and be converted. Turn away from that lifestyle. Turn away from man's way. Turn to God's way. And be converted. Repent toward God. What does that mean? That means turn away from your own ability to do things. Turn away from everything about you and turn it over to God. He's the one in charge. 
I like to tell the kids, he's the boss. That's something they can understand now. He's the boss. You're no longer in charge. Then you must place your faith in the shed blood of Jesus on that cross. Accept that his death on the cross was your payment for sin. It's already been paid. If you will just accept it and believe by faith that he did it. And finally, drive home that stake of Romans 10, 13. That anyone, whoever calls upon him, whoever calls upon the Lord, shall be saved. Wow. There are some here today that I believe are standing at the crossroads. They're standing at the crossroads marked with two arrows. One arrow points to destruction. The other arrow points to eternal life, to heaven. You must choose a way. You must choose a way. What way will you choose? There's God's way, and there's man's way. But let me tell you, it's God's heaven, so you better choose His way. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I praise you and thank you so much for this divine opportunity to preach your word. Father, you've made it clear that in all reality, there is only one way to heaven, and that's your way. Man can try to create his own ways, but they end up in the same place. A place of eternal separation from you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that great and mighty things are going to happen in the course of every person sitting in this room. That, Father, they will, they will reflect and they will make sure that they've chosen the only way that matters. And that's your way. Father, you tell us to repent, therefore, and be converted. You don't try to make it difficult. You just want us saved. Thank you for Jesus who made it possible. And I pray now in Jesus' name that, Lord, as we prepare for this invitation, Lord, that every person in this room will look in the mirror of their soul and they will see if they indeed have accepted your way or if they have been trying to live man's way. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we exalt you above everything else in our life. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help someone take that first step of faith, that most difficult step of faith, that on this homecoming Sunday, someone would set in stone the fact that they're going to have a home to go home to, a home in heaven with you. All for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.